Change is gonna come. See that you actually are a leader. I was with Nike for a very long time and built my career in retail. You know, I think uh, this podcast just got its first exclusive. Being an entrepreneur is hard. The highs are really high and then the lows are really low. That I'm actually really interested in hearing more about. Can you talk to us a little bit about what it's like transitioning verticals? Being open to opportunity. I feel like, okay, like if not now, then when? Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us on today's Motivated Podcast. I'm Dahlia Strom, and I run a company called Rethink Connect, where we focus on experience virtually and in person. I'm here with my wonderful podcast co-host, Pablo Henderson. He's the VP of Marketing at Equinox Hotels. Thank you for the intro, Dahlia, and um, thrilled to be continuing our series on Fireside uh, with the Motivated Podcast and our special guest, Tia Graham, who's a author and founder of Arrive at at, at Happy, um, which I didn't put two and two together. That is, ah, <laughs> uh, too perfect. Uh, she's a certified uh, chief happiness officer and has worked with a bunch of really great brands uh, in the hospitality industry, um, Goldman Sachs, Hewlett Packard. Kashi. So um, we'll get to, to meet Tia uh, in just a second. But I think that the timing of this conversation could not be better with everything that is happening in the world today. And the conversations about engaging teams, keeping people motivated, and I can't wait to have you on. So welcome, Tia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, I'm excited to be with you both. It's been great getting to know you, and hopefully we can provide a lot of value for everyone listening. Most definitely. For those of our listeners who do not know you, um, could you tell us a little bit about uh, how you decided to start pursuing this path towards arriving at a happier place? Where, what was the potentially the, the, the genesis of you questioning or seeking out i i want to i want to pursue more information or arrive at a happier place mm-hmm. yeah so um it it starts off you know it actually back i would if I look at the journey it starts off back in my childhood so i grew up um at a ski area in northern canada my parents were total ski bums and and ran a ski area and had this pretty happy childhood, um, sort of the first decade of my life. My parents, around the when I was around the age of ten or so, started going through this this separation, and then led to divorce. And it was a very, very challenging, and in some sometimes even you know traumatic experience as as a young kid. And it really, really negatively affected my father. His psyche, his happiness was was decreasing really, really fast. And, you know, I thought maybe he wasn't going to be this happy person anymore. And one day he, he decided it was actually on his birthday. He decided to, to really look at like life differently and, and to choose to be happy and to start working on his happiness. And this was a noticeable difference that I saw. And he actually announced it to me. He said, I've had three bad years. I'm not going to have another bad year. And so I learned around at the, around the age of, you know, 12 or 13 years old that you can choose happiness. 
that it's not just something that you're born with or something that happens to you, that you actually can choose it and that you are, you are a captain of your own ship. And so throughout my adult life, I, I worked in the hotel industry, both in the United States and Europe for many, many years. And throughout my life, I have made very big drastic changes because I wasn't happy and I wanted to get back and arrive at happy career choices, personal choices, you know, health, et cetera. And, um, and I always was a very positive, optimistic leader leading sales and marketing teams. The, what the catalyst that spurred me to actually study happiness and to create a, a company based on happiness and happiness at work was I went back to work after having my second daughter and I was extremely unhappy attempting to balance everything in this quote unquote perfect life. You know, I had this great job, two little kids, a husband that loved me, a penthouse apartment in West Hollywood, traveling the world. Like what did I have to be unhappy about? Yet I was actually miserable at this time. And that, that moment in time of, you know, having a baby and a, and a toddler and, and everything else in life, knowing that I had always been this happy person and I wasn't happy now, what actually makes people happy? And that was the catalyst for me to start researching the psychology and the neuroscience of happiness. So your approach, your approach so far has been to look at what are the potential moves that you can make to make your life happier? Or are they more about how can you modify your brain and your way of thinking? Which one would you say um, is more important? Oh, that's such a great question. It's both. It's both. The actions that you take, we make thousands of choices every single day. So the actions that you take and what you do with your, you know, with your body, with your behaviors, with your habits, influence your happiness and well-being. And your mindset and your thoughts are equally as powerful and important. And are constantly talking to each other. Everything you do with your body affects your mind. Everything you do with your mind affects your body. So there's there needs to be focus and intention and attention on both. Dahlia, I think you were going to actually say something and then I cut you off. It's funny because um, somebody once said that you only have room in your life for three things. And those three things can be of your choice, but unfortunately we just don't make the space for more than that. So they said that you almost need to determine what those three things look like. So whether it's work and family um, and like a healthy lifestyle or work and family and X. And it's funny because that same person also said that she had to remove exercise as part of one of the three things for now. It didn't have to be a permanent thing, but because she just couldn't fit it in properly. And Tia, I'd love to hear your thoughts around that. Do you feel like we only have room in our life for three things? So we have to make it really valuable. Wow. That's super fascinating. And I've never heard that before. Um, I, I, I actually completely disagree. So I, there are, I would say, you know, let, I don't know the exact number, but I, I would say there's more like seven or eight key areas of life. So 
you know, work or study or, you know, using that, let's, let's call it like your intellectual well-being, your career, right. And your, and your finances, your family, your friendships, your health and wellness, your spirituality, your hobbies, you know, resting and, and recharging, whether that be, you know, sleep, meditation, prayer, all of that, um, you know, connecting with community and, and sort of that giving and, and then, you know, there's different people have different aspects of life, you know, as well, you know, time and mother nature, et cetera. So, um, I actually see life and, and the different parts of life as, as colors, you know, and, and, you know, sort of as this, as this rainbow and depending on what's going on in your life for, at any given time and what your life circumstances are, different colors are going to take up more space. You know, like when I was living in Manhattan, single, no kids, it was like work, exercise, dancing, dinner, sleep, you know, and like that filled it all. You know, now I spend a lot of time playing with my two young daughters as right as an example. So I think that in our Western society, and I'm not talking countries, I'm just talking sort of Western society that unfortunately we allow, and this is both systemic within organizations and it's also personal, we allow work to fill every open space of our lives. You know, if we have half an hour, we're jumping on on our phones and responding to Slack or doing emails or this, and we don't create enough boundaries. And this is something that I, you know, worked on that, that we don't create enough boundaries to allow more space for, for more than three parts of life. So I would love to hear your guys' thoughts, but that, that, yeah, that's how I'd answer that question. I think that one of the things that we're seeing with regards to people filling the space with work is actually a response to um, uh, mediating the impact of anxiety. And what's mm-hmm. happened is that um, I don't know, unless you're the founder or unless you're incredibly passionate about your craft, I don't actually know too many people that would rather be working or you know, replying to an email or you know, finishing up a PowerPoint um, instead of pursuing something that they absolutely love, like cooking or reading or, or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, but what it is is that uh, when they send an email, because part so much of the conditioning that we have, and you mentioned neuroscience, has been around, you know, immediate responses. Um, I believe that that we're potentially releasing dopamine every time we accomplish a task, and that task satisfies an immediate need in us, and so we haven't become addicted to work. We've become addicted to relieving stress and every time we get something accomplished or that we move forward with our work we are limiting the stresses from our number one most stressful environment which is work and uh, and so that's why we fill that space if we in fact change our perception of what work is and if works doesn't if it doesn't play the same role for us in that uh, it isn't something that is an ongoing, uh, ever-present source of stress, then people will be less likely to fill those spaces 
and and seek out anxiety relief. Based on everything you're saying, I feel like we should talk about work-life balance and what that actually means. Because I know I don't do a great job at that. I mean, I I think that the work-life balance is going to continue to be an issue as we make further advances in technology and become increasingly global. Um, but that leaders, and this is something that Tia has said that I found fascinating, was that leaders impact people's families until um, employers start to treat employees holistically. Uh, we will not be able to make improvements in the work-life balance piece. And what I mean by that is the piece that you benefit from by employing me is that my wife, who has a career of her own, is incredibly supportive of me, makes sure that I, on many days, have a packed lunch, makes sure that when I get home, there's food in the refrigerator. And I, we don't have a, you know, stereotypical, you know, relationship as far as um, our roles. It just happens to be that there are some some things that my wife is incredibly strong at and organizationally, she's very good. But you benefit from all of that. You benefit from the fact that I have suits that have gone to the dry cleaner and been picked up. You benefit from the fact that um, I have a healthy diet thanks to the things that my wife has gotten from the grocery store. I can go on and on about all the benefits that that you as an employer get from my wife. Yet, yet um, she's not on your payroll. Understandable. But... I'm not able to also invest in that other team member that I have that's supporting me based off the, the way we've set up corporate life, right? So it's not like, oh, you know what? Hey, boss, I'm leaving a little bit earlier to have uh, a romantic dinner with my wife tonight, right? Like, yes, yes, you can do that. But we haven't quite created a culture around how do you support the other people that are supporting you? And treating and seeing the benefit of that entire system when we look at exceptionally high-performing employees, they have a support system. And so to rectify that work-life balance, we need to be looking at the entirety of that person's life. Um, and then you can start bringing you know, in the kids and all of the other aspects of hobbies and whatnot. Uh, because I also think that the tasks that we're going to be requiring people to do are actually becoming more and more mundane. Um, we thought that with the loss of the industrial movement and factory and people doing less factory work, people would be doing these incredibly creative, exciting jobs. I got to tell you, when my kids ask me, what do I do for a living? I tell them I sit in meetings and I, and I, I reply to emails is how I spend most of my day. Now, that's not very exciting, no matter what you're working on, but it's the reality of what you do. And so we need to make sure that the, we're allowing employees to cultivate the richness of other aspects of their lives, because emails and meetings are not going to produce very happy employees over very long periods of time, no matter what they're working on. She's so good That's to my you. very she long window. your lunch. Oh, my goodness. You are so <laughs> lucky. Yeah, I wish I had that. I mean, hey, I, I, I do, I, hold on. Let me just put a little caveat to that. I sometimes come to work with a PP and J, um, and animal crackers. Um, 
Club, which that's okay. Yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so, so I yeah, and, a box. and a juice box and a juice box and a juice box. I'm sending you a juice box for the holidays, just as a joke, just an FYI. Yeah, what are your thoughts? I'd love to hear about your work life. Yeah, so I actually, I actually, this is going to sound very strong, but I actually really dislike the term work-life balance because work-life balance to me is you have work and then you have a life. Isn't work a part of your life? So Ariana Huffington and... um Jen Fisher, who's the head of well-being at Deloitte, have been talking about this term and instead of, you know, never say work-life balance again, say life-work integration. And really, I actually, my perspective is it's life integration. So you have family, you have friendships, you have work, you take care of your physical body, you travel, you're saving up money, you might, you know, you, you, you um, are growing as an individual professionally and personally. You might be, you might be struggling with cancer. You might be, you might have a child that has a disability. This is all life. And we as adults, I believe, need to take back a lot of our time. You know, I, I um, studied over in, in, well, I went and got certified as a chief happiness officer in Denmark and I've interviewed and talked to lots of CEOs over in Scandinavia and their approach to life is very, very different than in the United States and, and Canada, especially the United States, you know, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying better or worse. I'm just saying different, but there is a, I want to use the word honoring. There's an honoring of people's lives that I think doesn't happen here where Monday through Friday, people are expected to spend time with their family, not, you know, weekends go do, it's like you have family dinners, like all the executives, all the managers, all the leaders, you are home for dinner. And think about what that does. Talk about family, you know, the, the trickle down effect. And, you know, they work 37 and a half hours a week on average, and they're extremely productive. So we have a I believe that we're chasing this balance because institutionally it's not balanced. And, and if, if leaders, and this is what I, you know, as much as possible try and teach as far as leaders to say, it's not about the hours that when you are, when you, you know, that person of saying, I don't have time for exercise. Like I want I would grab that person and shake them and say, Oh, you must exercise. Like exercise is a non-negotiable if you're a leader. If you're, you know, a human, you, we, if you're not exercising, you're slowly killing yourself. Really. Just like if you're not eating fruits and vegetables, you're not sleeping enough. So I think we need to flip everything on its head and say, what if we prioritized friends and family and our health and our hobbies and, and all of it, and we are successful at work? You know, how come, how come we have to not do, how can we have to not do some things, but you know, the, but, but the Danes are able to do it. So that's, you could probably hear my passion coming through. <laughs> that's sort of my thoughts on that. No, I mean, at the end of the day, um, there's an element of luxury to what we're discussing that I think is part of the problem. Um, there's a, there's a privilege to this 
integration that you're talking about, um, because I think there are socioeconomic factors, there are cultural yeah. factors. There's a there's a lot to unpack here, um, and and when I gave my little speech uh, a few minutes ago, I'm talking about somebody who's in a, um, a an executive position, you know, at a specific time in my career, and so it's very easy for me to to preach from where I sit, but I'm not somebody who's um, just entered the workforce and trying to make a name for themselves. I'm not somebody at a, a ladder stage on the, you know, on the way out. Or working um, two I'm, jobs to make ends Or working ends. two jobs to make ends yes. meet. And, you know, like uh, I work for a company that is uh, ultimately in the fitness and wellness space. So, you know, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate. I think that where we have potentially lost our way and and i and i wish that the conversations around hybrid working and whatnot is what is the data what does the science say about uh productivity and creative contributions when we are able to explore um people living the fullest aspect of their life first and putting work second. And that's a scary proposition, but it may have counterintuitive results. And I think that uh, that's speaking kind of to the Scandinavian model that you were, that you were um, uh, speaking to, Tia, but we haven't actually started to look at any data in, the, in popular culture that says, okay, we've taken these groups and we have given them permission to pursue this or what is considered now an alternative lifestyle. And this is what has come about. And I think that what has been interesting is that we've uh, we adopted a hybrid model out of necessity, mm-hmm. where people started working from home because there was a pandemic. People then pushed back on a return to the status quo of the past. Mm-hmm. And now... We have all these people that are actually working remotely, but there haven't really been clear guidelines around what expectations are, or uh, I think um, uh, the way to to measure the quality of what what that shift has has had. I was on the train coming into to the office, and I heard two much older gentlemen that were both in real estate development talking about how they're managing their teams and uh, how much of their teams were working remote and whatnot. And uh, one of the guys was complaining about uh, some of the younger folks not being as productive as possible. And that in fact, he was using the tools at their disposal to manage productivity digitally, right? To see Mm -hmm. who's checking email, who's response times, et cetera, all of that. I'm sure they were in a sales environment because some of the the KPIs that he was looking at were were around, you know, uh, sales type um, language. But we, if we're not careful, we are going to enter into a Big Brother situation that will be that people are going to what they the more freedom that they believe that they have will in fact be less freedom because everyone's going to be measuring when did you turn on your computer, uh, how active have you been on your mobile device. Um, how much was task focused work, you know, and 
I can't think of anything that would erode happiness more so than having to meet specific quotas uh, for your time management during the day against the assumption that, that is your productivity. I mean, who Big Brother is potentially here if we don't figure this out as a culture, as a society. Yeah, but you know what? Yeah, I think there's an extra element to it. Sorry, Tia. I- I want to actually ask your opinion around this because I think there's the extra element of being mindful that like seasonal depression is a real thing also. And like, I see it for myself when it gets really cold, I default to other things. And and I'm going to be really honest. I'm looking for any excuse to not exercise. Once it gets nice out, then I feel comfortable. But once it's really cold, especially in New York, it's not my favorite thing to do. So I default to saying, Oh, um, I'm too busy at work, right? I'm giving myself excuses and we can even, we can even default and call myself a little bit lazy during like the colder months where I get a lot more energy from the sun and, and things shift. And, and Tia, I'd love to hear your perspective. Yes. I mean, abs. So I grew up, I grew up in Canada. I move, I moved to Honolulu, Hawaii because for the reason you're just talking about, I was like, I need to get out of the cold, out of the snow. I lived in the Hawaiian islands for, for seven and a half years. So yes, absolutely. And of course the seasons and the weather affect different people to different degrees. You know, some people are affected, are absolutely affected a lot more. And so, um, keeping healthy rituals and, and, and having habits that support you having a healthy, happy mindset and, 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 you know, healthy body can absolutely be affected by, by your environment for sure. I think that, um, if you look at, let's say exercise or you look at meditation or, um, maybe reading a book Sunday afternoon, right. Among many other things. If you look at these activities as part of your career, if you look at it as part of your business plan, it's not something that's separate. It's actually something that makes you fulfill your potential and 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 fuel your brain, your creativity, your uh, in, you know new insight. And and if you actually connect those two and, and not look at it as separate, I know that. It, that for sure supports me. And when I'm feeling less motivated, I'm like, yeah, but I know, I know I'm going to be a better entrepreneur when, when I do these things, even if I feel like I don't have time, because let's be honest, we, we never really feel like we have time. So, um, and, and, and have it be as part of your whole identity. I think a lot of our, I know for me, my identity was director of sales and marketing. Because that's what we say. What's your name? What do you do? Our identity is directed. So if we can look at being healthy, being calm, being resilient, being happy as part of our identity and not have so much weight into our title and our work with our identity, it's part of it, but it's not our whole identity. That might help with keeping the healthy rituals. What do you think? Oh, I mean, I love that. Um, it would be interesting to see people change their LinkedIn profiles um, to to Ooh, this this yeah. new form of new form of identity. I think it might tell us more about their personal brands. Um, 
I think you had mentioned something to us when we were chatting last time around uh, the happiness imperative and mm -hmm. how um, emotions were contagious. Mm -hmm. And I wonder, Dahlia, if some of what uh, you were talking about, about um, you know, um, the seasonality, in fact, has a collective effect, a trigger effect on people um, and that much like trees in a forest, we're, we're more connected than we realize. And the, we need happiness ambassadors to spread that contagious nature of our emotions. Um, uh, because otherwise it's a downward spiral, right? Everyone, you know, everyone, even, I've even seen people's vibe today. So today is a day where uh, a war has broken right. out, right? Yes. An actual war yeah. has broken out. And it's, it's very so crazy. Far, it's very far from where we are. But I think that for a lot of people, um, it's, it's bringing up some emotions, depending on the generation that you're in. Some generations have never even known war war. Um, they've known conflict and whatnot. Um, but you see kind of like the general mood. Now, the stock exchange is one barometer of that mood because there's an action tied to people's behaviors. And so you get to see, well, oh, well, you know, Wall Street's in the toilet at the moment. Um, so that's what general sentiment is about. But relatively few people are, are tied to their investments in that manner. But the sentiment on the train or, you know, you with your Uber driver or your colleagues at work is a true reflection. And so uh, I'd love to, if you could tell us a little bit more about this this contagious nature of happiness or potentially sadness. Yes, yes. So whether it's, you know, that there's so many parts at play, you know, just mere neurons as as one piece of the neuroscience of of what we see and what we feel and experience from others, we then take into ourselves and the emotional contagion happens in person through technology through social media of course it you know that's why you you might see a post and feel so angry for example um and there absolutely today and i'm sure that there's this collective i mean i i, I think it's fear it's uncertainty it is um anger outrage um confusion you know and and, and so on so we as humans, and there are, you know, billions of us, if think about it, we are always all interconnected and our influence is so much bigger than we actually think. Whether it's who you work with, your family members, people in your community, everyone that follows you on social media, you know, um, your peers, etc. We There's a ripple effect that when every single person wakes up, whatever they say, whatever they do affects everybody else, you know? And unfortunately, the mass media 24-7 spreads only negative, capitalizes on our negativity bias in our brain and spreads fear. Now, should the news be spread? Of course, absolutely. But I feel that and I know that every single day on earth, in our communities, in our countries, in our companies, there's a lot of wonderful, positive events and things happening. 
And I know that our world would be different if the media even did 80% negative, 20% positive. Imagine, you know, if, if the CNNs of the world and the Fox and the BBCs and, you know, all around the world didn't just bombard with negative, what contagion and what ripple effect that would have. So, you know, know that by focusing on your own well-being, by focusing on your happiness, by by being positive, and I'm not at all talking about toxic positivity where you're not authentic and you're not actually talking about what's going on, but you you really have a powerful influence on people. That's what I say with leaders is the happiness imperative. It is vital that you inspire and lift others up. You know, it's a responsibility that you have. You're leading people. You cannot add more negativity to their life if you're their boss. So, do we, do we have a bias towards negativity? You said the negativity bias. Yes, our brain does. So, I would agree with that. I would agree with that statement very heavily. I think that when you see somebody that is negative, you almost have the tendency to go in the opposite direction, whether it's conscious or subconscious. I think that like negativity unfortunately breeds negativity and and if you're in a healthy headspace you actually like like physically go in the opposite direction because you don't want to be around that negativity you know it's funny i thought about that the other day but i found that when i was speaking to somebody and they were saying something negative about somebody else i actually didn't want to continue the conversation because my headspace automatically went to well if this person is speaking negatively about somebody else then the likeliness of them speaking negatively about me is pretty high so i don't really want to be in an, involved in a, in a conversation yeah so the negativity bias is the, it's it, the tendency in our brain we register negative stimuli more readily and we also dwell on those events so this is you know Human, the human brain was not designed to find joy every day. Our brain was designed, you know, think back to Homo sapiens. It's our brain is designed to have us survive and and stay alive, find food, mate, not be killed, you know. And so we are we are looking for we are looking for danger. We are looking for what can harm us and. And, you know, the, the news or humans talking, you know, that, that's just how we were wired, unfortunately. It's how we're still wired. So we have to work extra hard with what you started off with, Pablo, with our thoughts and actions to focus on positivity and to be optim- optimistic and to then spread this to others. So, so they, I guess there were multiple pieces to that. Dahlia was talking about... Um, the negative we have to then especially avoid the negativity right Mm -hmm. so so you're kind of shutting it out you're moving away from it whether that's physically or or intellectually and then there's the your response personal accountability on creating the positivity so that you are um having a, a a positive impact a ripple effect so there's two actions that need to be taken one is to not feed the negativity and one is to promote positivity are those principles that are um you talked about the cat being the captain of your own ship and or you know the author of your own story i think a lot of people are feel stuck and they're neither able to move away from negativity or move towards happiness are there mm-hmm. things that you can like jumpstart some of that 
um, so that you can take control of your ship again? Because if it was that easy, everybody would be arriving at their happy place. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So such a valid point. Arriving at happiness and continuously choosing it and focusing on it is a lot of work. What we're talking about is not easy. There is no quick fix. There is no do this and you'll be okay, good for the rest of 2022. You know, conversation's done. I thought that I thought you were going to be revealing the, the secret. Yeah, no, I wish. That. I'm like, buy the pill. You'll be good. No, no. You know, staying healthy with our physical body every single day, right? It's like you have to sleep. You have to eat your fruits and vegetables. You have to exercise. It doesn't last. Guess what? Next day, you got to do it again. But there are a lot of things you could do. So for the piece of some things on moving away from negativity, like what Dahlia said is so valid. Your social circle has a massive impact on your mindset and on your emotional state. So if there are people you spend time with that pull you down, like just like Dahlia talked about, you choose to, you know, to spend less time with those people and talking with those people. I, I tell all my clients, never, ever, ever watch the news on television. It makes you feel 31% more negative. I tell people, read the news, stay informed, but do not watch it on TV. Um, if you are endlessly scrolling on social media, it's going to make you feel more depressed and more anxious. It's a fact. This is research. You know, you can, I know social media is very addictive, but you have to be very intentional of when and how you use it. Watching a lot of television makes you feel, makes you feel less happy. Um, and so on. And I could give a whole more, uh, uh, other, uh, other tips, giving some tips on the opposite of how to increase your positivity in addition to meditation, exercise, healthy diet, and sleep are spending time in nature, you know, reading, listening to awesome podcasts like this, watching Ted talks, nourishing your, your psyche with, with interesting things, learning. So when adults are learning, they're happier, whether you're learning Spanish, learning guitar, learning your boss's job, learning how to write a book, learning makes us happier. When we are connecting with our spiritual well-being, whether that be your religious practice or um, a different, you know, whatever your type of faith is, but, you know, me uh, connecting with meaning and purpose in your life and then helping others, you know, helping other people, helping animals, helping the planet. If you, if you turn the attention off of yourself and help others, um, that's another way. And, and, and there's lots more, but, but like I said, there's, there's no one thing. There's like all of these, all of these actions and, 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 you know, you know, affirmations, the way you think, the way you talk to yourself, self-compassion and, you know, the list goes on, but there's so much you can do. That's the great thing. So I just got back from Barcelona and um, I noticed that like really, truly they value having a siesta in the middle of the day, like relaxation and enjoying, enjoying meals together, like spending time with friends and just like, like the, I, there is no such thing as um, it's a five o'clock somewhere, right? Like they can enjoy drinks in the middle of their day and they really understand the value of life. But then I got back home and it's almost like, Nobody wants to own that they're going on vacation. We're, it's almost like we're ashamed of vacation. Can we talk about like how vacation should live within the sphere of- Oh my goodness. I tell, so when I was in working in companies, I used every single day of vacation and then some. There was when people were like, <laughs> oh, I have three weeks banked up. 
I was like, what? Sell me your vacation. What do you mean you have three weeks? Very important for, for our happiness. You know, it not only is a macro way to relieve stress. I, I teach micro, medium, and macro ways to, to recover from stress. Vacation is one of those macros. Um, and when we take time to step away, that's when a lot of our actually creativity happens. You know, I don't know, but like, I'm sure Dolly, when you were in Barcelona, you probably had some awesome new ideas for your company and for your business and how you work with clients, you know? And so, um, for sure, by the way. <laughs> yes. yes. And of course, if you can travel, I know probably you're in the, like, obviously the hospitality industry, when you can be around other cultures and see how other people live, it makes you such a more well-rounded human being. It gives us new different perspectives on how to look at our businesses and, and, and look at life. So I encourage everyone to take, take the vacation and you don't have to get on a plane. You can take vacation in your backyard and explore, you know? So, um, yes, yes, yes to vacation. Pablo, what do you think about this? I mean, yes, I'm, you know, a hundred percent, um, agree. I think that there are different types of vacations that serve different purposes. Um, and I've come to realize that, um, I may not get everything I need from the one's big, the one big vacation approach. And so, um, much like your kind of small, medium and large, or, you know, a micro, medium and macro approach, I actually have the same approach to vacations. Mm, um, and, and so you can take micro breaks, um, which should be given the same um, value as a vacation. You can take medium uh, vacations uh, and you can take, you know, your kind of extended two week, you know, trip to Europe type vacation. Um, the challenge is that, and this is the mistake that I see from a lot of people, is that they, they put a lot of expectation on vacation time. And they try to get everything out of vacation. And that is difficult because you're still constrained by time. And so um, if I go off for the weekend to do my hobby, um, that's vacation, right? It's just that I don't give it a vacation status um, normally. But the more I do, the more I'm telling my brain uh, hey, this is a reprieve from the day-to-day. -day. This is a time to regenerate. Uh, and there are a lot of positives around thinking around, about vacation. So the travel industry has shown that a majority of the benefit of a vacation happens in the pre-phase, in the planning phase. That's when you actually get all the benefit from the vacation. <laughs> uh, I'm looking forward to this trip. I'm excited. I'm going to be taking this trip. I can't wait to, to eat paella again. Um, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, uh, the vacation itself is probably not going to be longer than 10 days, right? Just in general. So you got 10 days of actual impact days. And then the second most important part of the, is, of the vacation is the afterglow, is the whole Oh, sharing your photographs and telling your friends about it and reminiscing about the trip. 
So if you look at the fact that majority of the vacation is the planning and the second majority is the afterwards, we shouldn't be putting all of the emphasis into the time that is there. We should be looking at how do we, how are we constantly on vacation? How do you make it so that you're always having some benefit of a vacation of the uh, one, one type of the other? And so while I'm not always on vacation, very far from it, I pretty much always have something that I'm looking forward to. So I'm reaping the benefits of vacation in one way or the other. Yeah, it's interesting that you say that because um, because I used the way that I used to travel is very different than how I travel now. I used to feel the need to explore every part of that city or town or experience because I didn't know the next time I was going to be back. And now I think my sense of FOMO has almost lightened up a little bit and I value um, really just spending a little bit more time in a specific restaurant or getting to know people in a particular area or even just a, I don't know, staying out in the sun for a little bit longer. So, so it's interesting because I think we also at a certain point may or may not shift gears in how we vacation and how we start to enjoy things differently. What are your thoughts? You know, I, it's funny you mentioned that. The first boss that I ever had and the first like real job that I had um, was a guy who was a, a former U.S. Marine. And the, my job um, was with the Carter Center and involved a lot of field work. And uh, we would go to villages in remote places and um, very exotic uh, locations. And he would always remind me, this is merely a reconnaissance trip, you know, using that U.S. Marine language. Mm -hmm. But it really changed my perspective on things like because I'm the my family will tell you I am crazy when I go on vacation, like as far as like just you know, taking it all in and like, okay, everyone wake up early, you know. So you're um, me, you're yeah. me. Yeah, I'm definitely. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and it's been really good for me to also know, okay, this is just for you to decide whether you're coming back to do this place right, right? You know? <laughs> where you're coming back to explore some aspect of this very specifically. And I find that that changes my perspective on how I open my eyes to travel. Because if you go um, less seeking out the every experience, but more seeking out to explore what will be a potential experience worth having, um, it's a very minor shift, but it changes your approach and the time that you have on your hands. Tia? Yes, no, I, I agree with all you're saying. And, and, you know, the more that you can reframe vacation as not something that you do, but actually how you incorporate in your life and how you live. I love that. And there, there's so much research and studies that show that when you spend your money on experiences versus material possessions, you are happier. Partly, Pablo, what you're saying, there's the there's the pre the experience, the actual experience itself and then the halo effect after the experience as well as the the connection with other people or places and the memories with experience that you don't necessarily have if you you know get a shiny new car right it's like there's a the, called the hedonic treadmill where there's a high for three or four months after a big material possession but then you'll go back to your resting level of happiness but with experiences it actually is integrated into your identity and your memories and and you know you you savor all of these pleasant emotions that happen so um yes yes yeah to vacation and i think 
you know, even the way you said, I think is awesome of looking at it like Sunday afternoon, I'm going to vacation. And that might be <laughs> visiting a winery with your wife. And, and you say like, it's a Sunday vacation. It doesn't have to be, you know, the week to Barcelona, but that, those are the macro have those too. But, you know, to almost like if, if I was visiting this place, what would I do? And, and, you know, um, as opposed to, I don't know, online shopping, for example, right? You mentioned something called the progress principle. Um, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the progress principle can be applied to your personal life um, as well as work. Um, there are these two Harvard researchers. Um, I believe one is an economist and one is a psychologist. And they have a book called The Progress Principle. And what it showed is, so they studied hundreds of companies and thousands of employees. And what the research showed is that the number one motivator, so for everyone listening, if you want more motivation, the number one motivator is seeing progress in meaningful work. In your personal life, this could be progress in maybe achieving your health and wellness goals, for example, or progress in being a great parent or a great spouse. There's lots of different applications, but in the work sense, it's progress in meaningful work. So I'll, I'll give you an example. So yesterday I was working, one of the law firms that I'm working with, you know, very high busy stress and, and their motivation is low, working through the pandemic, you know, clients, et cetera. And I, and I, I asked them this question, how does your work benefit society? Not the clients that are paying you hourly, you know, not, not, how does your work benefit society? And one of the partners, you know, everyone was quiet for a long time. One of the partners said, we help children. And I was like, what do you mean? You know, tell, and she said, we work with a lot of high profile divorces and we try to have it be at least adverse, you know, um, as smooth as possible to decrease the amount of, of fighting and turmoil. And that positively affects the children in these, in these families. And I was like, yes, bingo. So on a weekly basis, you at this whole huge law firm need to be talking about the progress you're making in this meaningful work. It's not about, don't just talk about your billable hours because human beings, no matter if you're a dishwasher in a hotel or a partner at a law firm, you want to know that your work matters and you want to have progress. And every time we see and we feel progress in meaningful work, you get a shot of dopamine. Dopamine is the neurotransmitter in reward behavior. It feels really, really good. So then you get that shot of dopamine. You're like, I'm making progress in meaningful work. You get a shot of dopamine. It motivates you to take more progress, to have more progress. So that's that's essentially what, there's a lot more to it, but that's essentially what the progress principle is. Cool. Yeah, that's interesting, because as you're saying that, I'm thinking about um, not only what they're currently doing, but also what they could possibly do, right? Like if they're helping children, what are other opportunities for them to, I, I think that there's an opportunity to think about like social good and how to provide value. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, in our work, like just like Pablo was saying, it's nonstop meetings, nonstop emails, and it's just go, go, go. Executing strategies, checking things off our list, moving things forward that by, by pausing and reflecting and then also talking about it as a leadership group and within organizations about the, the meaning. And, and some organizations do this really well, like Patagonia comes to mind, you know, where they're like, 
we are helping to, to, we are helping mother earth. That is very loud and clear. That's what Patagonia, one of the big things they're working on. So, you know, to, to take the time to think about how am I helping society um, can, can really be a big motivator. We're nearly out of time. And uh, one of the things that we always like to do is a get a good book recommendation. I think I can definitely tell you about a book that I know by an author uh, by the name of Tia Graham uh, that is definitely worth reading. But Tia would love a, a good book recommendation from you. Um, and if you have um, any words of wisdom around the concept of motivation specifically, uh, I love this this concept of the progress principle, but didn't know if you might have any additional nuggets uh, to leave people with. Uh, maybe it's a, a saying or a mantra that you have uh, that has helped you along the way, um, uh, especially as you worked on this this project uh, to to um, publish this most recent um, book, Arrive at yeah. Happy Place. Yeah. So. Of course, I rec highly recommend Be a Happy Leader. Go go grab it where you can. Oh my gosh, I have so many books um, and I'm constantly devouring books. Uh, and I'll just share two that I've recently read that I think are fantastic. Um, one is called The Go-Giver. If you haven't read that, it's a it's a fable. It is, it, every single person in business should read this book. I also always recommend a book called um, Happier by Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar. And um, right now I'm listening to um, Atomic Habits by James Clear, which is phenomenal. That's another great one. And um, in terms of motivation, for me, the way, the way that I live my life and, and the way that I um, stay connected to the awe of, of just being alive and being a human being is remembering that I'm mortal. I mean, I am very, very aware that at any moment I could die. And I, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm going to by any means, but I'm very acutely aware of how precious and sacred and incredible life is. And I think when, if we stay connected to that, it's a motivation to live, to, to live in all sense of the word, you know, your, your marriage, your parenting, your work, taking care of your body, helping others. So that's, it, I guess it's not really a mantra, but it, it's, it's remembering that you're mortal. Mm. You know, it's interesting to you because you're the second person this week to remind me of just that, that today is a present, but tomorrow is really a gift. It's not promised to any of us. And it really just makes us value time. And I think that that's really important to remember. Yeah, I just, I think that I just I had a bit of a eureka moment because I think of some of the trips that I take that are more connected to adventure and whatnot. And I think that one of the things, that, the awe that I get is that I'm often reminded to those travels of my own mortality. And that, you know, that's what re-energizes me. Uh, so um, I, I haven't put it in those terms yet, but that is in fact uh, something that I would 100% uh, agree with and that I'm going to be more in tune with. Uh, but Pablo's an adventurer, so we all aspire to be similar <laughs> to him with adventures. I love adventure too, Pablo. I'm, I'm with you there. 
this was really, really great. And uh, great news is that um, for anyone that's joining late uh, or that missed the, the start of this conversation, uh, this podcast will be available uh, through whatever channel you use to um, listen to your favorite podcast, uh, through the Motivated Podcast. Um, really, uh, this is um, a great opportunity for you to pick up Tia's, Tia's book. Uh, so look her up. Um, uh, Tia has really done a great job of trying to, I, I think, um, meet a very important need for leaders uh, at the moment. Uh, and I think that uh, as the world continues to change, uh, this topic is going to become even increasingly more relevant um, and, and um, top of mind. Uh, and that's it from us. Uh, Dahlia, anything else for you to add? Yeah, it just resonates with me that not only do we need to find our happy place, but we just need to find ways to stay in that happy place. And I, I feel like there were a lot of touch points in this conversation. I do think that we are due for a second version. <laughs> oh, I would love it. I yeah. would love it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thank we would both. love that. Yeah, thank you both so much. And and I love what you're doing with this, with this podcast. And, you know, we all need more motivation. So it's great that, that you're focusing on this and, and providing a lot of value. Thanks so much, Tia. That's so sweet. It means a lot. And we're so glad that you were able to join us today. And and we know that um, our listeners will definitely get a lot of value from this entire conversation, especially we're down to those books. We're starting to see a lot more people value the book recommendations as well, which has been interesting. Oh, good. Well, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And, and I hope to meet you both in person sooner than later. Yes, we would love that. Thanks so much, Tia. So nice to see you. And thanks, everybody, for listening. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe to The Motivated Podcast and also stay tuned on LinkedIn and Instagram for some behind the scenes and extra updates.